0: We're in a crowd and then uh, we have youth leaders that are trying to make sure that we have all of our kids and I remembered one of the kids uh, who was with us, the teenagers had a head wound and wasn't supposed to have anything happen to it and it's raining and all this stuff is going on and so we're trying to get people undercover, we're trying to get and they just totally called the event off, this massive thunderstorm, they just completely cut the whole thing short. And I don't know if you've ever been where you, you had something like that happen where uh, you were expecting something to happen then it just got cut short or the whole thing was incomplete and you felt like you were in suspense. Well, if you look at these three words here this morning, uh, I feel like if, if we don't put all three of these words in balance, that we're incomplete. That we're cutting short that not only the truth of this passage, but our experience together, in this room with God and and who he is and in the proclamation of his son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, I think that's really important for us this morning to to pay attention to. Uh, We want to to focus on all three. We want to understand what it is that God is communicating. And so we'll start off with, uh, I think, one of the hardest parts. I have to power this on. I keep forgetting that. Let's do that. There we go. Sin. Uh, is uh, probably the hardest part for us, to, <clears throat> for us to realize. And I want us to think about James chapter 4. If you've never heard anything in your whole life about James chapter 4, you're going to hear uh, some of the real honest basics about uh, Christians and churches and togetherness and some of the difficulties uh, that take place. So in this passage and in the passage as a whole, we do see that sin puts us in opposition Uh, to or with uh, fellow Christians. The very first verse of chapter 4 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? James is writing to scattered believers in Jesus Christ who have a Jewish heritage and a background, the scattered uh, tribes that have been persecuted and driven out of Jerusalem. And James writes this letter uh, to them. And, And he says... Uh, That there are quarrels and there are fights among them. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? And so uh, I want us to understand today we're going to balance individual relationship with God with together. That we have a relationship with God, not only as a local church that meets here, but then in connection to other believing churches that meet in our community, in our city, and throughout the nation and around the world. So, as we're starting off today, uh, we see this idea uh, of God uh, and grace and humility, but it, it comes from this root, it comes from this idea that there is sin, and there is sin that is causing opposition to fellow Christians. I want to encourage you. People are not perfect Christians are not perfect. It is far better for us to have a framework for how to deal with and heal from sin when it happens between believers than it is to sit and pretend that it's not going to happen. If we think that sin between believers, I'm never. nobody's ever going to offend me or any, nothing is ever going to go wrong in my relationships in a body of believers at church, if we sit and we think that, we are going to be disappointed. And if your model is, you know what, something happened and that person offended me, so I'm out. I'm going to go find a better group of people to be with. Somebody, nobody will offend me there. All right? I hate to be mean to you this morning, but you're deceiving yourself. Don't think that way. Get it better, get a framework that we're going to see here that allows us to press through when things break down. It allows us to express forgiveness and to experience God's grace and not just between ourselves and the Lord but together. So there's that element of fellow Christians. James doesn't pull any punches. Fighting, quarrels, envy, murderous, anger, adultery. All these are on the page and they're not unbelievers. Sin will put us in opposition to fellow Christians. Now, sin will also put us in opposition Opposition to God. If we back up, you might say, Well, why did you read verse 6 10 if you're going to spend the first point in like 1 through 5? Listen, <laughs> we'll get there. I promise. Those of you that are anxious for 6 through 10, we'll get there. But we have to set a little bit of, a little bit of foundation here. There's verse 4 for you. Adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Opposition to God, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let this speak to us this morning that when we want to handle our problems in a worldly way, it not only makes us in opposition to each other, but it puts us in opposition with God. There are lots of worldly ways to handle problems, to handle sin. We can get on blast instantly with the press of a finger on a screen and typing a little message about somebody and what they did. And we can get on blast and we can put it out to the whole world what somebody did. We can do that very quickly and it becomes very destructive. It's hard to walk back from those things. But it puts us uh, not just at, at opposition with other believers. It puts us at opposition to God uh, I had one of those experiences recently, the pastor's conference I went to a couple of weeks ago. Uh, They had a a speaker who who spoke this amazing message from Joshua uh, chapter 7, but then he linked... To James chapter 4. And I promise that I'm not preaching James chapter 4 today because I heard it linked in this message. I was already planning to preach James chapter 4 as part of this little mini-series on prayer uh, before I went to the conference. And so my spiritual antennas like whoop, went way up. Here they are talking about this passage that I'm going to be, uh, be talking about. And so I want to link you in uh, just a little bit by going backwards. And I want us to see what happens Okay, back in Joshua chapter 7, uh, by God's power and might and glory, the Israelites had just sacked and destroyed the city of Jericho. They had won a miraculous victory uh, that showed God's might and strength. But look what happened uh, after that. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. Now, look at the language. It's easy to focus in on who took it, right? That lousy Achan, he he coveted and he wanted the, the spoil of the battle. And we could rightly and easily lash out at him or some people in his tribe. But look at how the story gets told in the first verse. The people of Israel. Let that sink in. We'll go over to verses 10 through 12. So God makes this known to Joshua. Joshua is on his face. At verse 10 it says, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. God is using collective pronouns. They. Even though Achan and his family will be singled out, his sin has affected them. And look at what, look at what the price is. I, I put that in bold there. God said, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. I'd be willing to venture that most times when we sin, especially a sin that is private or unseen, that we don't necessarily believe that it could lead to the removal of God's favor from our church or from the body. I'd be willing to venture that we don't necessarily consider those consequences. Not only is it on the page back in Joshua 7, it is on the page in James 4 as well, as we see ourselves being in opposition to God. We need to have an accurate understanding of what sin is. We cannot underestimate its consequences My sin should matter to you and your sin should matter to me and we should be able to say that about each other. That it matters. And we want to hold each other accountable and we want to have framework to work through it and to glorify God when it happens. We don't want to underestimate sin. You take your car to the mechanic. It's rattling around on the front end and you can hear it and it's bothering you. Do you want your mechanic to underestimate that? Because he's in a hurry to do something else. When in reality your axle is about to snap in half. I don't want that to happen. We want an honest and a right definition of the problem. We want a right definition of our sin. And we have to deal with the idea that it says that God will not be with you anymore. That whoever wishes to be a friend of the world and to handle things in worldly ways makes himself an enemy of God. There is an opposition to God. And so yes, friends, I love verse 6 in James 4. I love the grace of God. I love singing the hymns about grace. I love it. But we can't, get into this idea of God and His grace without plunging into the depths and the horror of what our sin is and the judgment that it deserves from God and the chaos that it can cause between our relationships both with Him and with each other. So, this is a group of people in James 4. They're having some serious problems. But verse 6 says but he gives more grace. If you're looking for a life theme verse, you don't have one, you need one, something you want to just proclaim over your life repetitively, the first part of James 4 and 6 would be a great candidate. But he gives more grace. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace. I want to do just a little bit of teaching here about the idea of grace. It comes from God. We talk about repairing our relationship with God. And many people will, by nature, and even as long as some of us have been believers in Jesus, it's very possible for us to revert back to wanting to fix the problem ourselves. The Bible clearly over and over throughout its entire message shows that we need the help of God. We need his grace. And I want to show you and teach you this morning that grace and repairing that relationship between you and God can't happen because it comes from within you. It comes from God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, some of you say, well, I have known these verses for a long, long time. Well, let's hear it one more time. And if you're brand new to all this and you've never heard these verses before, I want you to see that grace comes from God. Look, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we were able to save ourselves, we'd be able to boast about how great we are. Well, isn't so-and-so wonderful? We could boast, and we could just go on and on and and talk about how great we are. Yay, us! That would be a very self-absorbed worship service. I wouldn't want to be a part of that. I'd rather gather with all of you and say, look at how great God is. And we do. He's the one who gives the grace. He's the one who repairs the relationship. He's the one who does it. He does the work. He provides the solution. Look here, Romans 6. Romans 6. The slavery to sin. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. By what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end. Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you read Ephesians 2 eight and nine and you wonder what is the what is the gift? Here is the gift. It is in Jesus Christ our Lord. By grace we are saved through faith. A gift of God. Grace. The whole repairing of the relationship. We are the problem. The cause is us. We are responsible for our sin. We covet the devoted things. We want the things that God says you can't have. It's our root as human beings. We're related to Adam and Eve who wanted the very same things that God said they couldn't have. That's Who we are. We try to take care of it ourselves. We try to worry ourselves out of our problems when God says stop it. We think that our conversations about other people are going to fix everything in those relationships instead of trying to communicate more directly, which scripture encourages. We think that our endless pursuit of entertainment or use of substance or substitute of sexual pleasure or whatever it happens to be will somehow fill that void. We pursue it over and over, and even though it never fully satisfies us, we keep trying. The sin, the responsibility is on us. The problem is all self-made, but the answer can't come from ourselves. The answer is Jesus, and Jesus is God. He is a gift of God, His death on the cross for us. Unless we think lightly of this, we see that it is stronger than the worst pride. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The greatest thing that could be happening right this minute is God convicting me, you, us, of our pride. Of our tendency to handle it our own way of our tendency to stray from his word and to not trust what it says. God gives grace to the humble. Pride is what leads to sin. We can go back to James chapter 3 and see how the, 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 the heading there, if you have your Bible still open, is the taming of the tongue. We, we know that our words can do great damage. We know there can be great division. We know that we can talk ourselves up into a position higher than God ever wanted. And then again, all the problems that he lists out in verse 4, I won't cover those again. Pride, wanting what we want at a cost of no matter, no, no matter what the cost to others. This isn't a passage. The, the Bible doesn't serve as a portal where we get to look into other people's lives it's not a window where we stand outside someone's house and to see into their living room and their kitchen and how they treat each other and how we see what goes on the, that the purpose of the bible isn't so we can we can do that and we can we can be these spiritual uh, creepers if you will that look look at everybody else but meanwhile we have it all together no when we when we look at the bible we hold it up and we put it in front of our face because it's a mirror And it will show us who we really are. And so if we feel that weight this morning, it's a good thing. Allow the Spirit to press onto your heart, onto your mind, onto your will, into your emotions. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict. God's grace is stronger than our pride. It has to be. Otherwise it wouldn't be powerful. It'd just be this little thing that we kind of add in, some lesser ingredient in the cookies than the peanut butter or chocolate that everybody really wants. That's what grace would become. No, it's the main thing. It's what we need. And so the call then, and this has been brought out as we've sung this morning, the call then is is humility. I texted my wife this morning... I said, could you bring me a baseball bat? She probably thought, oh, it's one of those mornings, huh? (laughs) Yikes. It's not even 8 o'clock. And he's texting for a baseball bat. So I was never that good at baseball. But let me ask you this. All right, you're up, and you're facing the, the best pitcher, Who in here has played baseball or softball? Swung a bat. Okay, good chunk of you, swung a bat. All right, so pitchers come in, uh, getting ready to to pitch to you, and I want to ask you, how many of you are gonna stand there and face the pitcher just like this and get ready to swing? Is this gonna work out for you? Right here. here? Here's the plate. I'm gonna be ready and that ball comes. Is that gonna work out? You see people in games, even young kids don't do this. You might see some major leaguers that have a more open stance where they'll they'll do this and they're looking, maybe they're ready to drive the ball the other way or something, but for the most part, you kind of get your feet set, you bring it in and you have your bat ready here and and then you're ready to, to swing. Why is our pastor giving us lessons in baseball or softball this morning? Here's, here's the point, for those of you that want to fill in your blanks. The right position leads to the right action. This is true in baseball, of course. Put the bat down. The pastor's not angry this morning. You can all be, not going to hit anything or anyone. But I want us to let this point land. Look at what it says. Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, submission. Submission is the only position that we can take in the face of an enemy and before God that is going to lead to any result. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So, think about the huge issues of our day. Think about sexuality and think about marriage and think about relationships and think about creation and the authority of the Bible and what it really means. These are some of the mega issues of our day. And what happens when we start talking like this? Especially if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you hear somebody start to mention these topics, it can be very Tempting for somebody on the outside to look at us and go, Well, aren't they great? Look at how full of themselves they are. Who are you to tell me how to live? It can be very easy to think that. And so, what I want to say is no. If you're not a Christian, if you're not sure what to think, You're not sure how Jesus is being presented or or what uh, salvation in Jesus really means or it means to have a relationship with him. The best I can do it and the best I can share with you is this way. My desire for anybody listening to this message in this congregation or in any way for any believer is to come under the submission of God's word. To submit ourselves to God. It goes on in verse 8, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. We want to come as close, as humanly possible as we can. We want to have the right position before God. If we don't have a position of submission, nothing will happen. We will strike out or we'll fly out. We might get lucky and get one through because somebody fumbled it on the infield. But nothing is going to work. Long term, if we're not in the right position. And that position that is here on this page is submission. No, we're not arrogant because we have all the right answers. It's the opposite. We're people who are desperate before God, who are so completely unable to obey in our own strength. And we feel the weight of that. We feel the guilt of our sin. We're in complete need of saving, saving from damnation. In hell, which our sin justly deserves, we're in need of that. And we believe that God has given us the answers. He was revealed and he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And so when James 4 says, submit yourselves to God, we lift this up and we say, this isn't some book, this isn't a textbook, this is God's word, and we want to try to submit to it because it's the only hope we have. It's it. It's it. Christian, non-Christian, the appeal today, the call, isn't to to hate non-Christians or to hate sinners or certain kinds of sinners. It's to submit. It's to submit to God and who He is. And so the command here... Continues, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep. There, there are emotions here. There is a picture here where, where when our sin lands on us and we consider the grace of God that it, 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 it weighs us and it, it humbles us. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then, And then the command in verse 10 is humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. And I want you to see this point as we wrap up today. This is not singular. Now, obviously, yourselves is plural. Put it on the outline so you can see it. It's in the verse, in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So the issue I would take with the song we just sang is that's in singular. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And what James says is for us to humble yourselves back to where we started. Where sin, when we commit it, doesn't just affect me and myself. It affects us, yourselves before God. He calls them as a group to repentance. He calls them as a group to humility. In American Christianity, we can get this wrong. We forget to look at other Christians in our church or in other local churches as co-laborers. Often we look at them as competition. And if we do that, we have over-individualized our faith. We can't do that. We want to come together. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. You. Think about the grammar of this. The subject is... God, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he, so that's God. The verb is will exalt. Of course, future, but it's a promise. Direct object is you, and you is not singular. You is plural. And so this is the call. I've told you throughout these couple of messages that we're doing on prayer that that we're excited to see where God is going to lead us in prayer. We don't have Wednesday night programming anymore, but we're going to continue to offer a couple of times on Wednesdays to make Wednesday a day of prayer. And I want to encourage you the value of coming together for prayer. Try it once or twice this summer. I want to encourage that. It's not just something where we go into our own time. Yes, we want to have individual prayer, but we want to be together. We want to humble ourselves and do that together.